Welcome to the Beltway Outsiders Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Vaughn. I'm a lawyer, columnist for the Conservative Institute, and a contributor in many places where I cover everything from politics, law, and culture. I send out a Friday newsletter each week full of political analysis and the best articles I've seen that week. You can sign up and get all of my columns, articles, and podcasts delivered right to your inbox each week by going to thebeltwayoutsiders.com and clicking on the sign-up link, or you can use the links in the show notes, which are available at any time by clicking on them for this or any episode. And finally, if you like what you hear here, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review. If you listen on the website, that's great, but it'd be better for the show if you went to iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Music, or wherever you're getting those podcasts and leave a review. Those five-star ratings help new listeners and readers like you find us, and I always look forward to reading them. And if you can't leave a review, sharing the podcast with others is usually how we grow anyway, so that is always deeply appreciated. In this week's show, we're going to do a deep dive of sorts into two of the larger economic stories going on right now, at least to me. Uh, They both have connections to China, and I think these two things have potential long-term impacts on the U.S. economy, particularly if they go sideways. And I'm concerned, particularly on one of these, that it's not getting enough airtime in the general news public, and that could be because it's just sort of a complicated and convoluted sort of deal. So that's going to be the main topic for the show, going into sort of an economic-style episode covering certain things in in China and how those have broader impacts across the United States economy. And then the light item segment is devoted to a quick little story by Ronald Reagan that he tells. It's a joke related sort of to Halloween and, and just kind of a joke sort of that way. So pretty good story by him. I enjoyed it. I thought you guys would enjoy it, too. So, that is the agenda for today, and we can jump right in. So, as I mentioned, there are two stories, and and they're interlinked. And only one of these, I think, has really gotten a lot of the lion's share of the attention, and and you know what that is. That is inflation and the various supply shortages that are happening right now across the United States. If you've been into a grocery store, you've no doubt seen the higher prices, the empty shelves, and just things like that. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that because there are some interesting things happening there that are ongoing. And if you listen to the Federal Reserve, some of the indications that they're giving right now that are very cautious, I'll say, but even they are beginning to suggest some of these inflationary issues could broaden out into a longer time horizon than just 2022. So this could be more of a long-term thing. They talk about these transitory factors, and you know some of these could be short-term deals, but when you're talking about something now that's been ongoing now for eight, nine months and could go even further into 2022, this is not a short-term deal. People are being directly impacted by the inflation story and other things around it. So that's the first thing. The second story you likely don't know as much about is that China could be teetering on the brink of a real estate debt bubble popping. So they could have a debt liquidity crisis, much as the United States had in 2008. In fact, when I'm reading some of these these stories out of China right now, uh, they're very, very similar to when you would have read anything about Lehman Brothers in 2008. So China has this company. Uh, It's called Evergrande. And between Evergrande and the other real estate companies in China, they've run up around $5 trillion in debt. And the problem is that with that debt, the real estate market in China is rapidly cooling off. 
And now these companies cannot make their debt payments. So they are in the process of defaulting. And so it's the question is, how bad is the default going to be? The main company here is Evergrande, and they, but it's also these other companies. How bad is that default going to be? And what could it look like for the broader Chinese economy? And what does it look like for for the broader U.S. economy? Because these things do have an impact, and, and you kind of have to measure it that way. What is the long-term impact of these these stories going to be, particularly when you have all these other factors playing out? And so the main thing I've been thinking about is, is def- the default of these real estate companies in China, which are massive. They, they're just massive. And how those interplay with the larger supply chain shock that we're experiencing right now that's helping contribute to things like inflation. So I'm going to quote from, from three different Wall Street Journal stories because their, their coverage of both the economy here in the United States and their coverage of what's happening in China have been utterly invaluable and they they wrote an explainer that really it explained things better than than I could. We're, we're you know just trying to synthesize stuff. So um, sort of bring you up to speed about what is happening in China. Uh, they have the these quick paragraphs here. So with with uh, titles. So the first one is just basically is what is China's Evergrande and could it default? So Evergrande is an enormous and heavily indebted private sector Chinese property developer and home builder that is close to defaulting on some of its billions of dollars in debt. The most urgent immediate deadline was September 23rd when the company had an 83.5 million interest payment due on some of its bonds, which it missed. So they missed a a payment here. The company said September 22nd that it had resolved an interest obligation on its bonds due September 23rd, but it didn't say whether it could pay in cash or other assets. If it can't make good in 30 days, so we're talking here at the end of this month, it could be declared in default. So that's the first part here. You've got a big company. It did not pay on one of its uh, interest payments here at the end of September. And now there's discussions about whether or not this company is going to default. And the expectation is there's going to be some kind of default here because it's not just this one payment. There are multiple payments involved here over the next several months. So default is a very real possibility for this company. The next thing here is what is China's government doing to prevent a crisis? And so the Wall Street Journal says Chinese authorities are asking local governments to prepare to step in only at the last minute if Evergrande fails to manage its affairs in an orderly fashion, an effort officials familiar with discussions characterize as, quote, getting ready for the possible storm. The Wall Street Journal reported September 23rd. Um, that was so, you know, that, that was the thing that they were quote they were saying they reported there. So the Chinese officials are telling everyone, prepare for it, a possible storm here. The officials said local governments have been tasked with preventing unrest and mitigating the ripple effect on home buyers and the broader economy, including by limiting job losses ahead of a closely watched leadership meeting next year. The approach signals Beijing's reluctance to bail out the debt-saddled property developer while bracing to cushion any economic or social fallout. A state-owned enterprise struck a deal to buy most of Evergrande's stake in a commercial bank for $1.5 billion on September 29th. 
So if you're, you, you know, th- this is what the Wall Street Journal is reporting about China. These are the types of things that the Chinese will not admit out loud. So you've already got them talking about bracing for a possible storm, bracing for an economic fallout, and bracing for a potential issue here with home buyers in the Chinese economy. And you might remember some of this in the 2008 crisis. You had people who were homeowners there who were all of a sudden out of a home. So you may be asking yourself now, this next question that the Wall Street Journal has, which is how big is Evergrande? How big is this company? So they had nearly $78 billion in revenue last year and hundreds of projects in more than 200 Chinese cities. For years, it used to borrow and pre-sold apartments to aggressively amass land and develop projects. Along the way, the company paid out billions of dollars in dividends to shareholders, including the equivalent of more than $5 billion over the last three years to its founder. So why are they facing a crisis? The next question asks. Problems started to emerge last year when pandemic lockdowns hurt property sales for months, and they snowballed into concerns about a cash crunch last fall. Meanwhile, China's efforts to crack down on borrowing by real estate developers via limits, known as the, quote, three red lines, kept the company from taking on new debt. Cash is so short in this company that they started paying some suppliers with unfinished apartments instead of money. Its struggles have sparked protests at its headquarters. So how much does it owe? The company had the equivalent of around $88 billion in outstanding debt at the end of June, about 42% coming due in less than a year. Its total debt burden is the most of any publicly traded real estate management or development company in the world, according to S&P's Global Market Intelligence. Research firm Capital Economics estimates that Evergrande has also sold an estimated 1.4 million apartments worth $200 billion that it hasn't yet completed. So, with that, could they cause a financial crisis? Here's what the Wall Street Journal does. They says Evergrande is an enormous company embedded across China's financial system and economy, which relies heavily on property for growth and jobs. In theory, a collapse could chase investors away from other publicly traded developers, setting off a chain of defaults. Concerns are spreading through the bond market that the industry will suffer broadly, set off after Chinese luxury developer Fantasia Holdings Group uh, Company um, missed a $206 million U.S. dollar bond payment on October the 4th. So this is another company that has missed their payment. A collapse also could sour Chinese consumers on buying property at a time when sales are already slowing sharply, stranding investments and wiping out wealth. A collapse could also undermine the economic activity and jobs created by Evergrande and its downstream suppliers. Beijing has an extraordinary degree of control over banks and other key actors, so Wall Street analysts are generally betting the worst-case scenario of a Lehman Brothers-like crisis can be avoided. So in reality, what is happening here is that they are banking on the fact that this is a command economy. The Chinese control everything. And so you would think with that kind of control, they could prevent the very worst from happening. They don't have to negotiate with their Congress like we do here to come to a some kind of settlement or a deal. So that's a pretty decent overview of Evergrande. And so for me, 
you know, you hear they're the they're the end. They're talking about can you compare this to Lehman Brothers? And you know, they're saying, well, you know, you have the Chinese over here doing one thing, so maybe not. Your bet the best case scenario is if they know what they're doing and they can avoid this. If they don't know what they're doing and there is more strife behind the scenes that prevents a good fix from happening, then all bets are off. Then you are talking a potential Lehman type scenario, which happened in 2008, happening here. In 2021, 2022, I mean, you don't really know here because we're, we're really, it, it's going to come down here towards the end of October. That's when this, we're going to find out really whether or not Evergrande is going to default. That is the million dollar question. Everybody's expecting that to happen, but it's what that looks like when you get there. So the way this is being reported, you hear all these stories, you know, if you go back and you, and you go through the 2008 crisis, everything was fine. Until it wasn't. Everything was reported as being fine until all of a sudden it wasn't. The same things were happening here. When you're reading all the all those reports and the signs out of China, everything is fine right now. The question is, will that hold up? So you know, I, I don't you know, I wouldn't trust a socialist government to do this correctly. And that's just primarily because a communist governments or socialist governments and these centralized style economic systems have generally always failed these kind of tests. Because when you have a failure of this size, it's hard to capture all the downstream effects because they are many. And they're going to have to capture a lot of these downstream effects everywhere. So the other problem here that complicates this is that it's not just... Evergrande doing this. You, you got a hint of that there towards the end with uh, Fantasia Holdings Group, another company that has defaulted that's also very large that does similar things. This is not just one company. As Evergrande has started to come down and you see all these real estate, the demand for real estate dropping precipitously, all these other similar companies are facing a pinch at the same time. So we know this is more prevalent. And from the past, I, we also know this. So uh, I would recommend there's a YouTube video about from about 10 years ago called that goes to ghost cities in China and it was out of out of Australia and they went in and they walked through these various cities where China was building these massive apartment complexes these full spread you know commercial industrial and residential areas of these cities full shopping centers skyrise you know full full thing here and they were totally empty Imagine building the infrastructure, the buildings, the shopping centers, everything, building all of that to house, you know, let's say maybe 250,000 people and only having maybe, you know, one to 5,000 people living there. You have the infrastructure for 250,000, literal apartment complexes and everything. And these are ghost towns for the most part. There's, you're in apartment complexes with maybe one to two people per a few floors there. I mean, there's room for more. So that's what they were doing here. You were seeing the, and this was reported, you know, a decade ago that they were doing this. And so now you're beginning to see that the debt that was run up over that period of time is now due, and they're now having to answer for the decisions from that time. So this is not just one company, it's multiple. And so this brings in the, the second article that I wanted to go through here, from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and so they, this one is titled, Beyond Evergrande, China's property market faces a $5 trillion reckoning. Developers have run up huge debts. Now home sales are down. Beijing is imposing borrowing curbs, and buyers are balking at high prices. 
So that's the full title of that. And it gets into the real issue here because it's not just one company that's threatening to go under here and that's going to be suffering through this. It's a lot. It's multiple companies. And so here's what the Wall Street Journal says. They say China Evergrande Group, the embattled property developer, is the first high-profile real estate company to run into serious trouble in Beijing's campaign to tame a roaring property market. It might not be the last. As China enters what many economists say is the final stage of one of the largest real estate booms in history, it is confronting a staggering bill. More than $5 trillion in debt that developers took on when times were good, according to economists with various places. That debt is nearly double what it was at the end of 2016 and is more than the entire economic output of Japan, the world's third largest economy, last year. Global markets are braced for a possible wave of defaults, with warning signs flashing over the debt of about two-fifths of development companies that have borrowed from international bond investors. Chinese leaders are getting nervous about addressing the debt with a series of moves meant to curb excessive borrowing. But doing so without torpedoing the the property market, crippling more developers and derailing the country's economy is quickly turning into one of the biggest economic challenges Chinese leaders have faced in years, and one that could reverberate globally if mismanaged. Luxury developer Fantasia Holdings Group failed to repay $206 million in a bond that matured on October the 4th. In late September, Evergrande, which has more than $300 billion in obligations, missed two interest payment deadlines for bonds. Asia's junk bond market suffered a wave of selling last week. On Friday, bonds from 24 of the 59 Chinese development companies in the index were trading at yields of above 20%, levels that indicate high risk of default. So that is almost half, pretty much at half. 24 or 59 of these companies are showing high indicators that they are going to default. Some prospective home buyers are balking, forcing the companies to cut prices to raise cash and potentially accelerating their slide if this trend continues. Total sales among China's 100 largest developers were down by 36% in September from a year earlier, according to data from the CRIC, a research uh, unit of property services in China. It showed that the 10 biggest developers, including China Evergrande, Country Garden Holdings, and China Vanke, saw sales down from 44% from a year ago. Economists say that most Chinese developers remained relatively healthy. Beijing also has the firepower and tight control of the financial system needed to prevent a so-called Lehman moment in which a corporate collapse snowballs into a financial crisis, they say. In late September, the Wall Street Journal reported that China had asked local governments to prepare for potential problems intensifying in the Evergrande, but many economists, investors, and analysts agree that even for a healthy ventures, the underlying business model in which developers use debt to fund a steady churn of new construction despite demographics becoming less favorable for new housing is likely to change. Some developers might not survive the transition. The important note about that last thing there in, the, in that journal article is that when you're talking about picking winners and losers, in a place like America and in most market-based economies, who wins and who loses is typically not chosen by the government. Now, that was not totally true during the 2008 economic collapse. The government did get involved with that, and it did not turn out well in, in many cases. 
In China, that is all they have. There's not going to be any market decisions here. And so the Chinese government is going to have to decide which one of these companies. And, you know, if you've got half of them here, which could be on the in the precipice of defaulting here, you're going to have to pick winners and losers. And that's going to have ramifications, both politically and economically. A lot of people in China have put up with the fact that this is an authoritarian government, but times have been prosperous. What happens when that gets turned on its head? That's the situation that China fears here. They could have a situation where you have a bad response to the the pandemic and COVID-19 combined with this, their response to this liquidity crisis that they're experiencing. So that's the gist of all of this. And it's also not everything. China has also been dealing with other things. They've had an energy shortage at the moment, just as you've seen in, across Europe and UK. Sometimes here in the United States, they've had a lot of, uh, of rolling black and brownouts in certain parts of segments of the country. So really, you have a true systemic shock here where the Chinese government is having to confront the fact that it cannot do some of the very basic things. They have to confront a liquidity crisis, and they've got to front, confront an energy crisis, the ongoing pandemic. These are very difficult challenges. And they are not so far handling them successfully, from what I can tell. Um, but this is also just what they're letting out. Because if they claim that everything is success, you kind of have to to give that the side eye. Because you don't know. We know that China lies. And so it's a matter of reading between the, and reading between the tea leaves and figuring out exactly what they are saying. So... Will China have an economic meltdown on par with the Lehman Brothers? Uh, you know, who knows at this stage? It's, it's still too early. Um, but we do know that Evergrande alone has several debt payments due each month for the remainder of the year. I haven't been able to find a calendar for the next year. Um, but no one expects any of these companies to be able to pay right now. There's no expectations, and particularly there's no expectation of foreign uh, investors, so investors in the United States and Europe, no one expects those people to get their money back. So they are going to experience a thing where they could be taking a haircut here of a significant mar on the extended margin. You're talking hundreds of millions of dollars of here they could have to eat uh, because of China is just China will focus on its domestic companies first. They will not pay for an investment. So uh, you know China may say you know we're going to make this orderly and do the best way thing that we can here. But that may not be possible. You have to ask the question of whether or not that is even possible at all. Which brings me back to the introductory points I was talking about. You know, we had, I said there's two broad stories. You have inflation in the United States, and which is being compounded by supply shortages. Those are reverberating back and forth, causing each other to be worse. And you have this Chinese debt crisis, the spear of it being the Evergrande company, and my concern is that these two stories are going to end up overlapping and feeding off each other in a larger way, which could create a broader economic contagion. Because the, the, these are truly the kinds of ingredients. So when, you're, when you're looking for something that says, okay, this could cause a global crisis, um, these are the ingredients that you would look for. We're in one, com- one country where things are all of a sudden going sideways, and really no one else can step in to do anything here. So um, it, it's still very early. But while I'm looking at this, I really can't shake the feeling that I'm watching a Lehman Brothers um, (laughs) version 2 here because it really feels that way and really looks that way. And the reassurances are are this time, they're not coming from United States news sources. It's not coming from your CNBCs. 
or the U.S. government trying to sell you that they're going to do their best to handle things. This is coming from China, and China has mismanaged every part of the pandemic, and there's no reason to expect them to be able to manage this correctly. Uh, when I read investors saying that they are going, they are, they are betting on the Chinese getting this right, um, I, I don't know where that confidence comes from because they have failed to handle the pandemic. Their vaccines are worthless. They likely released this, vac- this virus to begin with, and they have done very little to control anything. So if they can't handle that, why would you expect them to be able to handle this? Because the 08 fallout was very broad in the United States, and it impacted a lot of things that the government and economists did not expect. The fallout was nothing about what they expected, and it took a long time for us to dig out of that hole. Um, and so I want to highlight here is the third and final Wall Street Journal story. Um, I read the journal a lot. I subscribe to them. I think they're great. I would recommend them if you will. I think they're the most important newspaper in America, to be honest, because they cover what is happening on the economy and markets that no other news organization really has the capacity to cover quite like them, especially these global issues, which could become bigger stories. Uh, and so, and, and things like this, like this third story is something that's unique to them. Other, other news organizations have tried to hit on this and their take is a little bit different from what you're going to find in the journal. So here's what they had. They had a headline that said global supply chain problems escalate threatening economic recovery. Component shortages, surging prices of raw materials, and transportation backups compound the bottlenecks. So this is going to bring us back to the inflation story here, the inflation and the supply chain story. So here's what the journal is reporting on that. And this is the global. So, you know, you're walking into your grocery grocery store seeing these shortages. This is a little bit different because this is talking about everything across the planet. So here's what they said. They said global supply chain bottlenecks are feeding on one another with shortages of components and surging prices of critical raw materials squeezing manufacturers around the world. The supply shocks are already showing signs of choking off the recovery in some regions. Part of the problem is a global economy that is out of sync on the pandemic. Restrictions, it's out of sync on the pandemic, on restrictions and recovery. Factories and retailers and Western companies that have largely emerged from lockdowns are eager for finished products, raw materials, and components from longtime suppliers in Asia and elsewhere. But many countries in Asia are still in the throes of lockdowns and other coronavirus related restrictions, restricting their ability to meet demand. Meanwhile, global labor shortages, often result of people leaving the first workforce during the pandemic, are throwing further obstacles in the way of producers. The bottlenecks are forecast to constrain manufacturing output well into next year, hurting a sector that had until recently powered the global recovery. Global industrial output rose above its pre-crisis levels in early 2021, but has since stagnated, according to economists. It re- the, these economists have recently lowered their forecast for world economic growth this year from 59 to 5.9% down from 6.7%, in part due to these supply chain issues. So you're seeing the people forecast saying, okay, growth is not going to be as good, so things are going to slow down here. Uh, The story continues. Supply chain knots have helped push inflation to multi-decade highs in the United States and in parts of Europe, weighing on consumer spending. 
Elevated inflation rates are already putting pressure on central banks, including the Federal Reserve, to start scaling back their aggressive pandemic stimulus policies, a further headwind to global growth. It is already too late to save all of the Christmas retail season in many cases as overwhelmed worldwide transportation networks limit supply down to the home decor. Quote, if I can give one piece of advice to consumers right now, it is to find and buy your Christmas tree early, said Jamie Warner, executive director of the American Christmas Tree Association. At the heart of the global gridlock is China, the world's largest trading nation. Arriving ships must often quarantined for a week or more before they are allowed to dock. Disruptions to customs and port services add to delays. The more ships wait on the inbound side at Chinese ports, the longer it takes for them to start out again from China to the rest of the world, waiting for Chinese-made electronics, clothing, and toys. Earlier this year, it cost more than five times as much to ship goods from China to South America compared to last year's pandemic low, according to the UN Conference of Trade and Development Data. Freight rates on more heavily trafficked China, North American routes more than doubled. So that is the other key aspect to this. At the very heart of this is China, both in the pandemic and in this potential economic crisis. And China has mismanaged the pandemic. I wasn't just, you know, throwing <laughs> throwing darts here at, at China just because I could, because this plays into it. They have mismanaged the pandemic, and as such, they're still having to deal with the pandemic in ways that we haven't had to deal with it since last year. We have working vaccines, and I know you still see the surges around here, but it is not quite as bad as it is there, because their vaccines are essentially don't work. China has vaccines, but in the United States, we talk about efficacy levels in the 90% range. China's are closer. I've seen some studies that put them below 30%, and that's after two shots. One shot is below 10% in some cases, so it's, it is almost the equivalent of nothing. So they, they were, there was a story a few months ago where China was wanting to start mixing vaccines. They wanted one shot of theirs and one shot of literally anybody else's because they know one shot of literally anyone else is better than two shots of their own. So that's how bad they are. So they are still having to use lockdown measures and other things. Now, remember, this is a country that is not being honest about how many cases that it has. You only take these measures if you're terrified of the virus spreading. China doesn't admit how many people are getting this thing. It doesn't say how many people are in hospitals and the rest. You can look around in America and see how this thing has spread everywhere, going from community to community to city to city, rural, urban. It has not mattered. It has a mind of its own. There's some seasonality at play, but this thing spreads. And China has lied about this every step of the way. And now we're on the back side where people have recovered economies in the United States. We have vaccinated population that obviously needs to go higher, but there are still people who are vaccinated. And now we're having to deal with a China that is still not out of the woods yet. Even though they're the reason that it exists, they've lied about it, and now they don't have a working solutions to it. So whenever you hear anybody talk about China as a potential, you know, the A-plus student in the class on this... Everything says the opposite. They have failed this. And now their failure has trickled into the economy where the supply chain is being disrupted. Now, you may have seen 
over the last few weeks uh, stories about tensions between China and Taiwan, um, because Taiwan is the free country here. Uh, China claims it as their as land of their own. And there's all this talk about whether or not the United States will stand up to China if China invades Taiwan. I don't think you can understand those stories without understanding these economic crises that are popping up right now. One of the go-to moves in any authoritarian government is to start saber-rattling to keep the populace united behind a cause and behind the flag and, you know, to show some kind of foreign uh, invader that they need to protect themselves from. And so you can blame everything on them. I think you have to read those stories about China saber-rattling at Taiwan through these economic ones. Because China is terrified right now that they could have a real meltdown on their hands which could cause a populous, uh, a popular uprising in the country. That's what they're terrified here, that this could have not just economic impacts, but actual political impacts. And they've got this big leadership meeting coming up next year where it's going to be a decision over whether or not they stay with, uh, I think it's, with their, with their current leader, who I just blanked on his name. But they've got to decide whether or not he's going to continue on. I mean, he probably will because he controls everything. But when you're facing that kind of... It's kind of like the, the Soviet Union when they had these big leadership meetings and things were not good. The behind-the-scenes politics got really interesting. We are talking about the potentials of coups and other things because there's so much economic bad news that all of a sudden upheaval is possible. And so that's really the real threat here. It's not just you're talking about in China, these economic crises. It's the potential political ramifications. I mean, the idea that you use saber rattling to kind of get everyone here. I mean, like I said, this is something that George Orwell lampooned in his books. And so I think that they're using this as sort of a way to change the story from the true crisis that is in front of them. And if their economy is bad and their COVID-19 response is bad, I wonder what the real story is on the ground where you have these companies defaulting that could end up kicking people out of their houses or devaluing their houses. Um, and you could have this full meltdown where all of a sudden people question whether or not it is a good thing to have this system in China. So my overarching concern despite everything on the ground in China, is that these real estate companies default on a Lehman Brothers level or something comparable to Lehman Brothers. And if they do that, that is going to cause further economic and supply chain crunches, which will impact us. If China goes into an economic downturn, you have something like that, and they have less capacity to produce, they have less uh, capacity to ship, um, there's going to be a crunch in our supply chain. We're not going to have things coming through, which will cause more inflation. That means the cost of things will go up even further. So where are we on this? What are the possible repercussions of this? You know, everything is really unknowable, especially on the domestic side in China. Uh, we really haven't seen anything on this scale for them in quite some time. You can go and hit all these historical parts, but... When you're talking about an economic meltdown, in the United States, we have multiple uh, multiple places where we can go to our history and say, okay, this happened, this happened, this happened. We had the Depression. We had all these recessions. We had the Great Recession. We kind of know how things play out here. 
even though it can be really bad sometimes, we do have historical examples. For this new version of China that is using market-based solutions while still being a full-on centralized command structure economy, we don't know what's going to happen in that kind of situation. This is the true unknowable. We don't really know what that kind of impact would be. I do know if you had this default and you had a further supply crunch, that would just that would hit just about every sector of the economy just because there's that many places that depend on China for just about everything. So uh, there's a lot of plates spinning on this one, and so we're not going to know here what's going to happen. Obviously, if these companies start defaulting, you're going to find out pretty quickly. So the things to watch at first are going to be the markets because they're going to they're the, always the first tail sign here of what's going to happen. So Chinese markets were closed most of last week for holidays. So this week, we're really going to get to watch some action on a lot of this stuff. So Wall Street here in the United States, they've been shaky too. Uh, they've been watching developments over here, and there is exposure in the U.S. markets to some of the things in China on the real estate side. There's more on the supply chain side. Uh, but there is some on the on the real estate side as well. And the markets here have been shaky, and they've been watching the developments over the things happening in China. They've been watching inflation, the jobs numbers. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in the markets right now, and everyone's trying to figure out where does this go next. That is the question. Where does this go next? Uh, there's no real playbook that we know that the Chinese have for the situation, so... The Chinese Communist Party has its work cut outs for it because it's got to figure out a way to chart a path forward here when it's yet to prove that it has that capacity. You, you read these stories, like I said earlier, you read these stories about how people, investors are betting on the Chinese figuring this out, but they really haven't figured anything out so far. So I don't know what information they're using to make that bet because I haven't seen anything that would suggest that they have that capacity. Uh, which would suggest even more rocky times ahead just because you're depending on the Chinese Communist Party to get this right. And I don't think they can. So that's what to watch over the next few weeks. Watch for the stories on the, the debt liquidity there in China. See if we have any more defaults. If you see more of these other than the main large ones, if they start going under two, it, it could be it, this could be the start of another Lehman Brothers moment. It's just going to start in a different country, and the ramifications of that would be far different, uh, because the the epicenter of it would not be here, it would be abroad, and so that's just what to watch for now. Um, The continuing inflation and supply chain thing, that is is an ongoing story. Um, They're looking, that's going to stretch into 2022, maybe 23 now, so uh, none of these things are going away, it's just a matter of what are the various impacts that we see moving forward. So that is all I've got for this show. The light item for this week, as I said at the top, uh, this is a quick story from former President Ronald Reagan, and he was telling the story. It was in November, but it, it has enough connotations for Halloween that I thought it kind of fit here. So this was a speech for the Chamber of Commerce in November of 1987. There was some music in the background because I clipped this out of a, of a broader thing that had it going on there. It, so when you hear that, that's what it is. Um, But here is Reagan and his speech. You know, there's a story about a fellow who dressed as the devil for a costume party. And at the party, he had a little too much to drink. Being tipsy, he got lost on his way home. But he spotted a small church. The lights were on. He decided to go in and see if he could get directions. 
But it was a stormy night, and just as he flung open the door of the church, a lightning bolt, accompanied by thunder, flashed across the sky. The congregation turned around, and there he was, dressed in the devil's costume. Pandemonium broke out. Parishioners ran from the church, screaming. They jumped out the windows and raced out the back door. After only a minute or two, the church was completely empty, except for one lone little old lady with a cane who slowly walked up to this fellow, who she thought was the devil himself, looked him right in the eye and said, I've been going to this church for 40 years, but I've really been on your side all the time. So there you have it. Pretty good story by Reagan there. That is all I've got for today's show. Questions, comment, corrections, or feedback, you can reach out to me in the contact information of the show notes or hit me up on Twitter at DevonCI. Look for my next columns on Monday and Friday at the Conservative Institute, and the newsletter goes out early Friday morning, so make sure to sign up before that, and you will get the next issue. Thank you for listening to this podcast and making it a part of your day. Remember, if you liked and enjoyed it, make sure to send in those five-star reviews to help us out. I hope you tune in again, but until then, I'm your host, Daniel Vaughn, signing off for this week, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.